Hey everyone, welcome back to Relentless Minds. This is your host, Lori Jimenez. Today's interview is an important one, and the topic that is discussed is an issue that I believe everyone should know about and try to see how they can play a role in preventing these atrocious crimes against humans. That issue is human trafficking. Human trafficking has gained a lot of attention as of late through the media and among society as people make an active effort to join forces in order to end this multi-billion dollar industry and save the lives of millions of people. I spoke with Representative Jake Johnson of North Carolina to discuss the current condition of human trafficking in North Carolina, which is stated to have one of the highest cases of human trafficking in the United States. We covered an array of issues, including implementing educational training in grade schools and law enforcement, factors that create human trafficking hubs, legislation and how it falls short in protecting victims. We also talked about the silent opportunity for human trafficking in sporting events, as well as communities that are repeatedly most affected by human trafficking. I'm grateful for the insight and guidance that Representative Jake Johnson provided in this interview, and I hope that you all will enjoy it as well. Please tune in to learn more about human trafficking and what it will take to dismantle this industry, piece by piece. I'm pleased to be joined by State Representative Jake Johnson from North Carolina. Representative Johnson, thank you so much for being here. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. So to start today's conversation, I wanted to ask you, how did you first get involved with the work being done to combat human trafficking in North Carolina? And why is this an important issue for you to address? Uh, well, first off, uh, I, I've been in public office for a total of about four years now. And, you know, like many people in the general public, I wasn't aware of what was going on. Uh, you know, it was something out of a movie. It was something that, uh, you know, you think of going on in another country, but certainly uh, not right around the block from where you live and where you uh, shop and go to school. So, you know, I, I got plugged in with a group uh, just just when I was out campaigning and working in politics. I've got plugged in with uh, a couple groups. And uh, the more, you know, I got to meet people who had been victims and read cases and case studies about uh, the injustices that were being done and really just a lot of the loopholes we still have in our system. It really inspired me to get involved and uh, make sure we prevent this. We work on the educational side and then we work on the prosecution side on the back end. When I was a county commissioner, I, I'd never really been that involved with it. But then uh, getting to Raleigh, I've, I've seen statewide what a problem it is. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something um, important, which I think a lot of people can also relate to, which is not understanding the severity of the situation that it's you know, around every corner that's under our noses, it's happening, it could be happening in our neighborhood, um, this issue of human trafficking. And when it comes to actions, because since you've been talking to these groups, you know, you were on the front lines to say, speaking with victims, what are some key steps that you would say that you are taking to combat human trafficking in North Carolina? We have to know what to look for. Um, I, I think one of the key steps in preventing human trafficking is knowing what to look for. And we've made some huge strides in North Carolina in recent years. Um, we've actually passed laws that put in educational requirements for K-12. It, it's also shocking to know how young some of these boys and, and girls start being involved in the trade. So we really tried to put a spotlight on the educational requirements. And uh, a little later on, I'm sure I'll have a chance to talk about ways we're improving on that. 
but it's a huge step just to get that on the books that it actually is a requirement that a certain amount of hours be taught in our schools on what to look for. I think a big step going forward is working with our law enforcement. Uh, there's people that have been working in law enforcement their whole lives and you know have never really received formal training on what to look for uh, in human trafficking. And uh, just sitting down with our state troopers in Raleigh and our local police, uh, which I've done, they're very open to the idea. They, they want to know what to look for. This is something that they're on board with. They're willing to receive training and they want to know the signs to look for. Uh, and they want to send a message. They really want to be a deterrent that they're taking this training to be a deterrent who, to let people know this is not going to fly in our state and our counties. So you brought up two issues um, or two areas where we can improve education, and that is in our law enforcement and mm -hmm. also in, in our educational system. So our grade school. Could you give me some examples of the educational requirements that are being placed in grade school for kids? So that's where we have the most improvement to be made. There was laws put on the books that said you have to teach human trafficking signs and, and what to look for. But there was really, to my knowledge, no formal you know, curriculum put in place. So I, I don't think it was fair to, to put this on the local schools to have to teach it. And then the state put forward no guidelines on how to do it. So uh, are they just supposed to go on Google and type in human trafficking signs and, and teach that? We need to put forward something. And I'll be hosting a summit later in the year. We had it planned before all the COVID-19 put us back, uh, being able to do group meetings and things. But we are actually putting together a summit with the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission. It's going to be hosted by my office at the Capitol. We're going to have uh, representatives from law enforcement there. We're going to have representatives from the school system there. And we're all going to have all the stakeholders come together, a lot of the independent groups that have been working on things, and try to put together at least key bullet points that a curriculum would have in it. That way we can go back to the school board and say, not only are we requiring this, we've got a suggested curriculum right here. And that's something that I think they'll find extremely useful in trying to implement these laws. Mm -hmm. So are you guys are you guys speaking with the students or is this going to be mainly staff? So it'll have to be two-pronged. It's going to have to be both because we can't go around teaching this at every school. We're going to have to teach it to administrators to where they will, there will be somebody on staff at that school who can inform the faculty, faculty on what to look for. And that's something they can cover at faculty meetings uh, and outside of the classroom. But then there's got to be somebody interacting with these kids that say, if you see something like this, if you see someone who... Um, you know, maybe has an injury that's unexplained. Maybe they, you know, are late or having a lot of absent days mm -hmm. and not really explaining why. You know, those are all things we need to look for to where we have a counselor or a go-to teacher on site who can, can talk with that child. And if they think there needs to be further action taken, they can refer them to someone at DSS who can, who can look into the matter. And that's another huge legislative change we made in the last couple of years was DSS being able to formally investigate these claims, even if it's a caregiver or parent who's the one being accused, because um, as terrible it is to think about, actually a lot of times it's the person they trust most who is you know, putting them in this situation. So currently, what's the legislation when it comes to DSS getting involved in claims against caregivers and family members? I believe it was 2018 where they implemented the law, 2018, maybe it went in in 19, that said you could actually do a formal investigation into the primary caregiver or parent. Before that, um, it was looked at as a real infringement on parental rights. And 
you know, at, at this point, if there's sufficient evidence that they feel the need to launch an investigation, then even if it's not that child being trafficked, there probably is something that needs to be brought to light uh, in the home situation. So I don't look at it as any infringement on parental rights. I look at it as a situation that needs to be looked into and uh, the potential of human trafficking is enough to merit some sort of investigation. Absolutely. These are great steps and I think that it's incredible when you realize that there's a lot in policy that restricts people from mm -hmm. being able to actually take action. Uh, but that also is due a lot to a lack of knowledge, um, a lack of awareness. When it comes to becoming aware or gathering this information so that you are best informed to take action and you know who to consult when it comes to what you're mm -hmm. supposed to do, who else are you speaking to and working with to move the needle and creating change? We have an incredible human trafficking commission here in North Carolina um, and, and a good friend of mine, Tammy Harris, who works out of Charlotte, North Carolina, who's really responsible for getting me off the bench and involved in a lot of this. I, I'm sure she's been on your show. She has been instrumental in, in getting me involved in these groups, getting me involved with uh, knowing what the commission was, and what all they do. And um, I'm happy to say she's since been appointed to the commission here in North Carolina. And they are an excellent resource for information. They, um, I, I, I encourage everyone to visit their website. They've got a great resource for legislation that's being passed. And they'll be an intricate part when I host these forums going forward of helping me put those together and get all the key players at the table. And just one of the first things you'll see by going on their website is North Carolina is consistently ranked top 10 highest cases of human trafficking in the United States. Uh, last year, I believe we had over 700 cases of human trafficking arrests, related arrests made. Um, that, that's an extremely high number when we know if there's that many arrests being made, how much are we you know, slipping through the cracks and how much room is there to improve? So when you look at numbers like that, it's, it's pretty staggering what a hub North Carolina is, uh, whether that be it's dynamic of urban areas, major interstates, just where we're located along the Eastern seaboard. There's a lot of factors that come into play, but the bottom line is we've got a lot of work to do here and I'm glad to see us making these steps. Mm -hmm. And I was going to actually ask that, what were some factors that you feel are influencing the numbers, the high numbers uh, of human trafficking cases in North Carolina? Uh, m money always has a lot to do with it. Uh, where, where, where you see money, you see some of these things. Where you see, I, I would always say major travel hubs. So we've got mm -hmm. a major airport here in the Charlotte area. We've got uh, a, a ton of uh, major interstates running through that more or less connect a lot of states along the eastern seaboard. And, you know, you can't help but feel just the, the convenience of our location has a lot to do with uh, it being a hub for trafficking. Uh, and dropping off, picking up, and you know, just a huge exchange of international travel as well. And all these central areas around us, we need to be on the lookout for these kind of things. We often see it uh, with the drug trade. So we we have a lot of drug busts. Not not necessarily saying the drug use is high in the area, but a lot of drug busts because of the convenient location. And um, a lot of times, unfortunately, drugs and human trafficking go hand in hand. Uh, mm -hmm. when you see a lot of the victims being hooked on these drugs. So they oftentimes go hand in hand. So we just need to be keenly aware of where we're located and how that could play a role in what we see in our community. Very good points. 
I wanted to ask you about the current justice system mm -hmm. in North Carolina regarding legal consequences for mm -hmm. traffickers. What is the situation with that currently? And what changes, if any, are you working towards or would you like to see? Yeah, th th that's definitely a two part because I think we've made extreme prog progress by implementing the Restorative Justice Act. And I believe that was 2017. So very recent history to where it allows that judge to actually uh, pretty much grant damages and, and there's some level of restitution for the victim. Of course, they can never get back the psychological and physical damage they may have been through, but there is uh, some restitution against the one who committed it and for the victim. Uh, I will say where we've probably got the biggest jump to make is in the prosecution itself. There's such a fine line in our system between someone being accused of something and protecting their rights, but also protecting the safety of the victim. Um, so a lot of times, unfortunately, not just in North Carolina, but nationwide and internationally, we see uh, girls or males, but most of the time females being put on the stand, asked to point at someone and say, they're the one that did this to me. And mm -hmm. if they get out of prison or they get off with a light sentence, there's been way too many times where that victim has wound up dead or wound up, you know, being reintroduced into the trade because there was not a serious enough punishment put against them. So that's one place we're going to have to be very creative in how we get testimony without jeopardizing their safety, whether that be some sort of uh, anonymous testimony, um, which, which then again, you know, it's always just a fine constitutional line between the person being accused rights and then the safety of the victim. I think we have to put a much heavier focus on the person who's actually coming forward, testifying and making sure they, you know, they don't become a victim the second they point someone out. This is going to have to be one of those things where we have, uh, whether it be the bar association, these group, these human trafficking groups um, sitting at the table together saying what's fair to both sides to where we can get to the truth without putting anybody's life in, in, in jeopardy. Uh, you know, I'd love to say it's going to happen and we're going to find a solution overnight, but that's something that's going to require us to really sit down and examine, uh, you know, the rights of both parties that keeps everyone safe and serves uh, justice to the one who committed the crime. It, you know, talking to people, I've, I've talked to victims who, Frankly, they've looked at it and said, it's not worth the risk me coming forward. If I can get out now and just save myself and, and if I've got a child or something like that, save myself and my family, as opposed to trying to bring justice on this person and run, putting myself and my loved ones in jeopardy. It's hard to put, put yourself in that position that, that, to deal with what they're having to make a decision on, that it could potentially cost them their life to get justice. Um, I'd say that's where we have the biggest step for improvement and not just North Carolina, but but all over the country and world. How can other people give support or give their opinion or feedback and help further this movement to create that legislation? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think it starts with exactly what we're trying to do in Raleigh, where we bring all the stakeholders together. To be honest, you know, I've, I've met with a lot of these different groups and I'm learning about new ones all the time. And they all have incredible causes that they're working toward and have their own following and group of people who support the action they're taking. Uh, really where I see my role in this is being able to connect all those dots, bring everyone together and uh, try to 
you know, and, and this, this this may sound like a simple thing, but try to get more media coverage on this. We can only send a message as big as what people know about what's going on. So really mm-hmm. where I think we can bring, you know, a valuable role to this is not only bring all the groups together and allow public comment. So if, if you've been a victim of this or know someone who's been a victim, we want you to come forward and tell us about your experience. If you don't feel comfortable using names, that's fine. Tell, tell us about the experience so that way we can make better laws to prevent something happening in the future. Uh, but, it, but it starts with someone coming forward and the media having a willingness to cover it. And to be honest, I think law enforcement is ready to step up to the plate and say, we will play a major role in this. So it's a deterrent in our area. You know, I, I think they look at this as it's good training for us. It's good things for us to be on the lookout for. But it also sends a strong message that our county is not the place to conduct this kind of business. And we're serious and we're going to crack down on it. So they need a platform to do that. Uh, I, I think the, the schools are ready to send uh, a message that we know what to look for now. If you know if you're doing this, we're going to find out we're going to prosecute you. So but we need that media willingness to do it. And I think putting it in front of a, a room with uh, you, you know sufficient media coverage will be a huge step in saying North Carolina is taking this serious. And we've got plenty of groups out there that are willing to uh, actually work with victims. I mean, they're not they're not just there for a publicity stunt. These are people that work day to day with victims and trying to get justice mm-hmm. for them. That public awareness is so important. It's mm-hmm. so important to work towards that. During my my research, I did see that uh, you served as Polk County Commissioner and Chairman. And during this time, you oversaw an affair that caught my attention, which was the hosting of a large sporting event in North Carolina. Yes. Um, so what was this event and what were you in charge of, of during um, this event preparation for it? It was this was um, and you have to understand, I come from a county of uh, 21,000 people. Uh, that was, uh, you, you know, there's a good chance, you know, I know most people there by their first name, you know, it's just a very close knit community. And because of this uh, large equestrian facility in, in our county, uh, they actually stepped up and were hosting one of the biggest international events. Uh, there's really only four on that scale uh, in the world. The Olympics is one, Tour de France, World Cup. That's, that's the scale that we're on as far as the amount of countries represented and just the the sheer number of people coming in. So we we definitely had our work cut out for us hosting an event like this. And it took such coordination, literally years in advance, working with law enforcement um, from all over the state, not just our county, but from all over the state. And, you know, there was there's always these outside things that come in with, with these type of events, mm-hmm. uh, drugs, tra- drug trafficking, human trafficking, just the, just the potential for a bad bad thing that can happen we we had to plan for it was it was very eye opening for me to mm-hmm. see the coordination between the different levels of law enforcement so that was the first time i had been in a room at age i guess i was 20 22 years old or something like that sitting in a room with local law enforcement sbi fbi uh, all the way up to the security details for all the different uh you know high level uh, figures coming in for these games. And I mean, it was it was international. I mean, it was originally between 60 and 70 countries represented. So you're dealing with a lot of cultural differences. You've got a lot of uh, diversity in, in the economic uh, level of people attending. But it was truly amazing to me 
to see the coordination between our law enforcement community and how quick we can share information when we're all on the same page. And mm -hmm. I think that experience has opened my eyes to the potential that mm -hmm. how we can tackle human trafficking is, but we all have to be on the same page. Uh, I exactly. think one reason there was not a major you know, negative event during these games was because we were all on the same page sharing information, whether it be the county, state or federal level and mm -hmm. among the security details with all these people that were there. So mm -hmm. I, I think that level of coordination is going to have to be what's required to put a dent in what's really uh, billions and billions of dollars of revenue for these traffickers across the globe. They have a ton of resources to fight back against us finding out what they're doing, where they're doing it, when they're doing it. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take us all working on the same page. And I think that was one experience I took away that can definitely uh, help us going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the largest resource or advantage that they have is is a lack of general knowledge among the public. And you just jumped right to it, and you knew exactly, I think, what I was going to ask about it, because according to the FBI, large-scale sporting events are actually prime locations for trafficking. Mm -hmm. And it's good to know there was large focus on the coordinating mm -hmm. with law enforcement to ensure to mitigate that from occurring at, at the sporting event. Um, but, you know, you were at the front lines with that and you were able to mm -hmm. see that and understand that that level of coordination, that level of you know teamwork is crucial for tackling this yeah. issue of human trafficking, ensuring that that's not happening at these local events. Because you were, you know, this was an experience you had. Um, what do you feel is, is the level of understanding the public has on human trafficking taking place at sporting events? Would you say people actually think that's happening? I, w I would say little to none. I mean, it's one mm -hmm. of those things that it's not, you know, I would, I would almost say drugs are the first thing that came to mind just because of the mm -hmm. community feedback I got. Uh, mm -hmm. People were very concerned about drugs coming into the county, uh, violent crime upticking because there was going to be obviously people with a lot of money there. Mm -hmm. So they thought there may be s some crimes committed, people breaking in the facility and things like that. And that came with coordination, too. I would say human trafficking was really not something that was on the radar with the local community or really the people coming in because it's it's really just not there's no spotlight put on it. And, and that's unfortunate because it is a major issue we have to keep we have to look at. But the public awareness of it is is little. And I will say in my area, unfortunately, the, the communities that are hit the hardest a lot of times are minority communities. And we, we've had sheriffs here really go above and beyond to address that. They've been willing to sit down and take meetings with me when I'm talking about things that they can do. But they went off on their own and hired uh, uh, Latino liaisons. And that's been incredible uh, because it's it's very prominent from, from the statistics I've looked at in the Latino communities. The the problem is those communities are all not always as trusting to come and voice something to law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that's just that, that's just the way of it. They're, they're not as open to come and say, this is what's being done to people in my community. And so what this liaison's done, it's been incredible to see how they've been more willing to open up to her and be let her be a resource for them and be a true liaison to where she's taking information from that community back to the sheriff's department and they've been able to solve a lot of problems that way with violent crime happening. And there's just been a trust level that I've never seen. And I give total credit to, the, to that department for going out and taking that step and being proactive 
I'm glad that you brought that up. Do you see that happening in other in other counties and other districts, um, or has it just been in this particular one? I, we we see it happening uh, all over the state, from the law enforcement I'm talking to, and from similar you know populations across the state. I, I think we can pretty easily say that immigrant populations and minority populations are extremely at risk for these things to happen. Uh, a lot of times we see other forms of violent crime taking place that might maybe make the headlines more than a human trafficking crime would. But so, so much of the violent crime stems from the human drugs and human trafficking that we, we have to start, one, taking care of the education side of it better so people know what to look for and stop, but also making sure that uh, our law enforcement know what to look for in these communities, know the signs, and, uh, and also that there's resources there to help out whenever uh, someone does get brought in off the street, they're actually able to, you know, be transitioned. And, you know, that's, that, that's a whole other policy topic is just that transition from, okay, we've got you out of the industry. We may have even prosecuted someone based on your testimony, but now what? Now you're in a situation where uh, you don't have a source of, a lot of times there's a separation from your family. So there's really nowhere to go back to. Um, and, and it leaves people in a, in a very tough, tough situation. I wanted to talk a little bit about law enforcement. What is your current assessment of law enforcement training at the local level to be able to identify and disrupt human trafficking operations taking place in North Carolina? Um, and what steps you know, are being taken or can be taken to increase training and involvement of law enforcement in combating human trafficking? Absolutely. Uh, the absolute willingness to learn is what I've experienced. Um, I've went and met with probably five sheriffs um, in my area and then some more across the state and sat down with them and said, what is the interest level? And if someone was willing to come teach this course, um, mm -hmm. it was simply what to look for, what, what how to handle the victim, you know, mm -hmm. be better ways, you know, not not treating them in a way where they're, you know, they're the criminal here. Because, uh, you know, it may be a crime what they're doing at the time, but they are a victim, how to handle them. And, and then the transition, you know, how, how to really deal with getting that person back into society. And there's been an absolute willingness on their part. Uh, mm -hmm. And also speaking with the Highway Patrol, you know, they've been looking to other states that may have had more experience, states like Texas and border states where they may have actually be a little bit more acclimated to to dealing with this type of crime and they're, they're wanting to go learn from them and and figure out best practice how to prosecute it the right way and things like that so it's been an absolute willingness uh on the part of law enforcement to learn the best way to handle it wonderful what would be some recommendations that you have for people who want to get involved in the work that is being done to combat human trafficking how can they do this so I would say reach out to the commission. Um, they, they are kind of the central source of information and they've also got uh, relationships with groups across the state. So there may be a group working and working with victims, working on uh, you know justice reform or criminal justice reform in your area that you may not know about. But if you reach out to kind of that, that central body in Raleigh and say, I wanna get involved in the fight, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. They will more than likely be able to connect you with somebody in your area or tell you about efforts going on statewide. Uh, and, and again, just that public feedback, being able to come to uh, some of these summits and things, comment on what you see going on. You know, if, you, if you've had an experience where you've seen something in the community, 
we want to hear about it because that'll help us make better legislation. Um, so definitely and reach out to your uh, state representative or your federal delegation and tell them this is a priority for me. This is something we don't want kicked down the road. Uh, you know, we we feel like it's, uh, you know, it could be happening in our community. We know we know that it probably is just based on the numbers. We want this to be a priority that gives me, uh, you know, a lot more pull to go forward and, and talk to other representatives when they've checked their email that morning and three people have emailed in saying this is a priority for us. That gives me, you know, a lot more ground to go to them and get them signed on to this legislation we're working on. Thank you for that. There's a lot of work there to be done, and I definitely wish you the best of luck. And I want to thank you so much for your time today and for giving us all of this important information. It was invaluable. Thank you so much, Representative. Thank you. Thank you so much. And and nothing will make me happier than to come back in uh, six months and and give you a great update on uh, Mm -hmm. progress we've made in North Carolina and hopefully have some tangible uh, changes we've made legislatively and some tangible things that we're doing here that uh, will make a big difference in people's lives. Definitely. I look forward to that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the Relentless Minds community, you can join the movement for change on Instagram and Twitter. We would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.